Hey, you're gonna love this interview with Anthony Constantino. Anthony is the co-founder of Sticker Mule, one of the most successful printing and sticker businesses on the internet. We talk about how he started the company, the constraints he's faced operationally, and the marketing strategy that they've deployed for more than 12 years that continues to work for them. You'll also feed off his energy, which across the spectrum of hundreds of interviews that I've done is up there. You'll see what I mean very quickly. You're gonna love it. Here's my interview with Anthony Constantino. Uh, I'd be remiss. I've, I've seen a, my fair share of uh, stickers in my day, bumper stickers, swag stickers. Uh, you've probably seen more stickers than just about anyone I've ever met. What's the best sticker that you've ever seen? Uh, you know, I got to say the first one we ever did because when we launched the company 12 years ago, we were we were lucky to make our first ever sticker for the founder of GitHub and they were our first customer. And so um, that'll probably always stay in, in my mind. And that was a funny story. I got connected with the founder and we had just started the company and I offered to do a free order for him, not realizing, you know, an order for him was 10 or 20,000 stickers, which was a lot for us at the time. So I made 10 or 20,000 stickers and he said they were trash and he hated them and then we made another batch of 10 or 20,000 stickers and he said they got a little better, but they still sucked. And I think after the fourth or fifth iteration, we finally liked them. And uh, that was a huge help for us. So we, we didn't embarrass ourselves when we, when we went to market and we got a cool customer in the process and that. If anyone knows the Octocat, it's a, it's a really cool design. Yeah. And that's a, I mean, that's a pretty big name to, to be your first client. And it actually touches exactly on another one of my questions, which was, you know, there's plenty of people that might need a small batch printing for some something like that's all the rage now people do like the one-off shirt prints or like it's you know the family mm -hmm. barbecue print but for a business like yours it's really much more of a b2b sale than a b2c sale is that accurate uh we do everything believe it or not you know I, our big innovation and people want to know like why we why we grew so effectively and it's you know you must be killing the competition and the reality is most of our customers are people that never bought stickers before because what we saw is when you make it easy everyone buys and, and they go in and, and Traditionally, people buy stickers of, you know, for their business. But when you make it easy, all of a sudden people start buying stickers of their cat, of their girlfriend, of their boyfriend, of their kid. You know, you can you can turn anything into a sticker and we let you do it under a few minutes at an entry price of, you know, when we do a deal, we go as low as $19 plus free shipping. So, yeah, it's everything. So even in that context, though, the like next GitHub order or the next, I mean, I was looking at the, your front page. You got Netflix, Google, Microsoft, yeah. like. Those are, there's gotta be big buys. They probably also have different like standards for quality mm -hmm. and what have you. When you think of like the pie chart of the business, is it still relatively proportional? There's like kind of small, not one-offs, but small, like kind of niche uses versus big kind of corporate clients. I believe it, we're mostly the small customers, believe it or not. Wow. We're mostly that, small customers. Yeah. Yeah. That, so, so I've seen so many businesses that start there and then they kind of mature into being more of that B2B enterprise sale, just cause it's, you know, you uh -huh. can put a sales team behind it, you can set targets, but that's fascinating that that's still such a real part of the business. Yeah, we don't, we do have a small sales team, but we don't um, obsess over any one customer. We just want a great service. So, you know, I say we, we copied two companies when we started Stick One was Dropbox. Dropbox started like a consumer model. And what they realized was, you know, since a long time ago, but what they realized is, you know, if you can get a lot of customers, those customers eventually get you the big corporate clients. So, you know, we might land Google as a client, but we start with some person that works inside Google that's buying stickers for their kid's sports team or something, and they like them. And then they call to work and they say, we should, we should buy from Sticker Mill. And then the other company that we really copied was uh, Starbucks, who was, uh, 
there, you know, Starbucks's big thing was was standardization and having a great quality experience. No matter what Starbucks you go in, you get roughly the same experience every time. So, uh, you know, we have really high quality standards. And whether you're buying fifty stickers from us or you know a few hundred thousand, we're we're, we're going to give you the same experience and quality. And we have, uh, you know, a, a very consistent experience, which is why everybody everybody's happy with us. So, at what point it, the business is thirteen years old now? Yeah, about twelve or thirteen. We started in twenty ten. Got it. Time's flying, man. Uh, so, at what point did it? Did you realize that it was going to be sustainable, scalable? Like, basically, most entrepreneurs, there's this point at which, afterwards, it's like, okay, now if I just continue to operate, I can see how this kind of grows unto itself. But <clears throat> up until a certain point, it's like, make or break, will this survive? Make yeah. or break, will this be able to actually like? I, I call it like achieving escape velocity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, believe it or not, I think we figured it out the first day. Because, um, wow. you know, we launched the company and our first day we got like 20 orders, which was, you know, so like back then there wasn't, you know, back then the internet was different. The internet, there was just like web 2.0 saying, yeah. Websites were just starting to look nice. Like, so prior to 2010, like a lot of people, you know, design on the internet wasn't so great yet. And so we had an, a really great design, look roughly the way it does today. So if you can go back 12 years and your website looks like stick mill, it was like a pretty impressive looking website. So the day we launched, it went viral in the blog blogosphere back then and all these designer blogs started talking about it and saying here's an example of a really cool looking design that other people should try to emulate and because of that we ended up getting about 20 orders the first day which was a pretty cool first day and from that it just you know it just it just kept going we never really had an issue with with with, with worrying if the company was going to succeed we had issues along the way figuring things out but um you know we, we knew it was was going to work it is is part of that just the nature of like the printing business or the sticker business more specifically that like it's until you do the printing it's kind of ink of your machinery kind of investment mm -hmm. it's paper and ink sitting there waiting to be used which isn't nothing but isn't like sitting on semiconductors or something that's just absurdly expensive yeah the good thing about stickers um you know we started so we've expanded beyond stickers to like 10 or 12 other products some yeah. you know really significant ones like packaging and we just started doing t-shirts and magnets and all sorts of other stuff but like the good thing about stickers is it's relatively inexpensive to get into it was it still is relatively inexpensive to get into and like what we saw at the time was because it's relatively inexpensive to get into the, the market was really fragmented. There was no dominant vendor. There was like probably thousands of small, tiny little vendors in every city all across the, the country, all across the world that made stickers. Um, and nobody really hit economy of scales, of scale. So, you know, by getting big, we were able to have a consistent quality standard. So you, like when you have thousands of vendors, everyone's making stickers with different material, different printing processes. So there was no standard ultimate ideal quality in, in the market. But yeah, it was relatively inexpensive to get into, which made it easy for us at the time. You know, we stumbled into a good product. So so now with the 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 bias of hindsight and experience in the sticker game, what makes a good sticker? Like what are, you know, maybe what are some of the errors in terms of materials or or inputs that you used previously? That's like, you know, we've kind of evolved past that. That's that's a, a relic of a different age. Uh, you know, this is even a funny one as well. So when we started in stickers, the majority of stickers were gloss when we started. We'd make a matte product. And um, there was a lot of debate because when we, for, for the first few years, like the people that had been used to buying our glossy product would, would come to us and say, geez, we want uh, we want gloss. You guys don't sell gloss. And and I said, you know, I said, you know, the team agreed. Like, 
let's just stick with it and redefine our product as the ultimate quality standard. So we just stuck with matte. We never offered gloss and we eventually convinced people that our sticker is the uh, ideal sticker. But, you know, we do use top quality material. We use a top quality matte vinyl. We use a great uh, adhesive. And, and most importantly for sticker quality, for printing quality in general, is the quality of the print more than the material. I mean, we, we use great materials, but getting the print to be perfect, getting the cuts to be perfect are, was the bigger challenge than uh, the material. And, and that's where we, we made a lot of investment over the years is, is figuring that out. If you, if you were to see our manufacturing, it's, it's pretty uh, impressive. Yeah. When you work in physical goods like that, it's, it's this different level of the chain. So like we're an agency and you're trying to create consistency and replicability between like this video editor and that video editor, or at least meet a certain standard bar. But that's much lossier and, and imperfect than you, which is like, we need the exact measurements of, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what's, what we biggest order run looks like now, but you know, a hundred thousand of this thing to be yeah. precisely the same. We need 99.9999999% consistency. Yeah. We actually- I mean, more than like people might start with a hundred unit order or 50 unit order or even a 10 unit order and then come back and buy 50,000 stickers. And we need to have the same experience the same quality for both of those orders or people buy multiple times throughout the year. We need the same quality every time. Yeah. The big, the big challenge is really in printing is, is color quality, print quality, color accuracy, um, having people's colors, you know, print the way they expect them to print is, is a huge challenge. And then having that same color print every single time correctly throughout the year, throughout the various orders and so on and so forth. And then, and then the cuts are, the cuts are a big challenge too with stickers. And so where do you study like that? Like obviously partially it's just practitionerships. Like, hey, we made this error. We need to figure out how to not make it again. But are there like mm-hmm. principles or frameworks that other people that are trying to basically replicate quality can sure. implement that you've kind of figured out? It's to, it's to... Yeah, you know what I tell you? It's like I do with simple things say like find problems and fix them. So, you know, you make a list of problems. You want to raise quality, you make a list of problems and then People like to talk about like solutions first, but you know, you want to make a list of problems and you want to think about the most elegant solution to your problem. And you want a solution that's going to, you know, just run in perpetuity, which is why we're, we're somewhat of a software driven company. A lot of our solutions came in the form of software. Some of them come in the form of process. If you go, you know, to business, free internet, free software, like people solved problems through, you know, physical processes, like process standards and standard operating procedures, whatever you want to call it. And so, you know, we solve things through a combination of, hey, these are the procedures we're going to have, uh, you know, like a simple one, which is having, uh, you know, we make quality posters and we identified all of our common problems that might occur during the print process. And we had a quality checklist, but the checklist actually visually showed like this issue might happen. Here's what to do if it happens. So that's a simple one. But, you know, if we can solve it through software, through some mechanical change in the machine, that's, that's definitely like a lot better. But the simple process is make your list of problems. And then get together with your team and come up with the best, most elegant solutions you can come up with. And there's always new problems. You just keep you just keep finding new problems and fixing them, finding them and fixing them, and eventually your problems get better and better and better. Yeah. So I have a friend who talks about the exact same thing. He always he says sharks and minnows, right? Like you're maybe entry level at a, a new job, and what feels like the sharks to you are minnows to your manager, and they're minnows, minnows to like his mm-hmm. boss. And you can go up the chain, and like as you climb the chain, you're facing larger monsters metaphorically. So what are some yep. of the sharks that you're facing right now as 
you know, the, the leader, the owner of a, a business that's scaled, a business that's profitable, a business that has a lot of stuff already in place. Uh, you know, the biggest one as you, you know, grow and you're around for a while is to figure out how to continue with strong growth. And, you know, especially right now with heading into, uh, you know, we have an inflationary period. We have a questionable economy. The economy still seems reasonably strong, but, you know, there's, there's a question mark. And um, we've definitely noticed growth is a little harder to maintain in the last year. So I call it like finding the next magic trick. Like if you want to keep, we have very strong growth over the last 12 years. And uh, this is leaving the manufacturing world going into the marketing world. But if you want to maintain strong growth, it's all about like finding, I say, kind of, you know, finding the magic trick because every time you have growth that beats the competition is because you did something unique and, and sort of magical that no one ever thought to do before. And when you come up with a new magic trick and you implement it, you know, you get a period of really great growth, but eventually that trick wears thin and you got to find a new trick to keep getting the strong growth. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's one thing going from like hundred customers to 500 when you want to go from 500 to a million, it's a little, a little more complicated. So yeah, you know, I'd say like my biggest challenge, like in the, in the last year is just trying to figure out how to, how to keep the growth strong despite negative economic headwinds. Yeah. It's so uncertain is, is the word that I hear talking with other business owners. It's just like, there's a lot of ambiguity is, you know, the, the roof going to blow off or the floor going to fall through. Like it just, there isn't a lot mm -hmm. of clarity in terms of how things proceed. And, um, it, it's really interesting problem when you're talking about the, the marketing thing, because marketers ruin everything, right? What worked three years ago was, you know, hammering short form vertical videos or TikToks and then it's been mm -hmm. copied everywhere. And now it's like completely saturated and everyone, you know, even even the people that were at the cutting edge are struggling to get the same type of viewership because of how many people have rushed in to replicate what they saw work for someone else. Mm -hmm. And it does it does feel like a magic trick. Or you're an elite fast follower who sees someone else pull the magic trick identifies it quickly and implements it so that you're one of the other people that gets some of that that tailwind as opposed to a headwind i call it like, uh, i call it reverse engineering you know you, you look at who's like succeeding and you figure out how they're doing it and, and then they copy or you know more you know ideal is you come up with something no one's thought to do yet and, and you do that go ahead and your own route um you know i don't like giving up too many of our secrets but like one of the things we did that fairly unique that worked wonders for us is, is our email marketing and if you look at us we've been around 12 years We've never sent a graphical email. Our emails are all plain are all plain text. And um really? it works really well for us. Yeah. And and like we're the only company that does it. And people do notice it every now and then. It's actually surprisingly a hard strategy to copy because you need to, you know, we send at least one email a week and you need to have good writing skills. I mean, you have to write an interesting email every week about stickers. It's not that it's not that so um but it works really well. People, you know, people really like the simple plain text emails. Do you, you write it or did you find an elite copywriter or how did you, how did you solve that, scale believe, that problem? Believe internally? it or not, I, I believe it or not, uh, I either, like lately I've like gotten lazier about writing my, our, uh, the two best writers in our company are probably either my, or myself and our uh, chief marketing officer, who's our original designer who designed Sticker Milk 12 years ago. And so he'll either write them or I'll write them or, or we'll, we'll collaborate together. And, uh, we have one or two other people that might help out every now and then, but, um, most of them are us. So. So I'll give another trick on this. I'll give you a, a trick on how to do it. So like, this is I, just for fun. And I, I got better at this over like, just for fun. Like I think four or five years ago, I, I did stand up comedy. I took it. I started doing stand up comedy and I took a course on it and then I performed a little bit. And uh, that, that was like super helpful at learning how to write better. Uh, 
So I kind of, we try to inject a little bit of comedy into the emails when we can. You can't write a joke every time. You can't, in, but if you can inject a little bit of comedy into it, then it's, it's pretty cool. It works. I'm, I'm sure to some degree, it's like, you know, retell a similar story a different way with your kind of added context. But if you have to like create something fresh, are you scouring the internet? Like what, how do you manifest that 5,112th newsletter? Uh, it, it, usually they take about five minutes to do. First of all, we don't write, we don't write a lot. They're about three sentences each, two or three sentences, shorter the better. Uh, you know, if worse comes to worse, you can just write something simple. This week's deals. 50 stickers for $29 and people okay. are like, people are happy. Um, you know, if you, if you can do something a little bit better, you can, you know, it, it, if you can do something a little bit funnier, it's, it's better. I'm trying to think it's been a while since that. I don't know. I don't have one off the top of my head, but, um, so, so it, it's not always like classic content marketing. We're, we're trying to like tell you about how Johnny changed his lemonade business by putting, I don't know. 50 I don't do stickers around the, okay. Got it. No, we have a unique that... style if you read our, we don't do that. We're not like, hey, this is how, no, we don't do those. The, the long form emails, uh, we tried that once or twice. I don't know how to write that style. Um, we let somebody else try it. I didn't, it didn't go over so well. People like the, the, you know, the funny one. Got it. Yeah. You got to know the brand. Cause that's where my mind went is more like, you know, Johnny had a lemonade stand. No one came to buy Johnny's lemonade. Johnny put 50 sticker mule stickers around his neighborhood about, uh, you know, the lemonade stand being open every Saturday, Johnny now pays for college. You know, something like that. Like that's that would be cool, but that's I, I guess not exactly the direction. That yeah, no, that's a lot of work too. Like we, like I, I guess, like writing a funny email is a lot of work too. You know, right? But uh, uh, you know, it's if it if the joke comes to you, it comes to you. I should have an idea off the top of my head, but I can't remember what that. I, I don't, I don't, I don't keep things in my memory. They, they kind of all fade away. I'm the same way too. My my wife, it drives her nuts because. If it's not a piece of information that like I can see the pathway where I'm going to need it again in the future, like a number yeah. or some factoid about like this cousin's thing just doesn't stick at all. And so mm -hmm. I, I relate to that a lot. I, yeah. I like the brainstorming stuff, but it's super hard because I, I need to I need to prune down. Right. I need to keep the core stuff in and not hold on to anything else. So so back to the business strategy side, and this is like a little bit of both things. We've, we've talked about marketing. We've talked about production. And this is kind of a blending of the two, which is which offerings you bring to the market. You started with stickers, you've expanded into all sorts of other print businesses as that mm -hmm. sticker mule brand and traffic and just the desire of customers continues to grow. How do you think about jumping into the right categories over like diluting yourself and offering too much stuff, yeah. but not, you know, leaving money on the table if like, hey, they're going to buy stickers, they're going to buy mugs, we might as well give them notepads too. Like that type of thinking, how do you pull those levers in a thoughtful way. Yeah, every new product's more complexity for manufacturing, for purchasing, right? Now you gotta maintain more inventory and, and more customer service questions. Your customer service operation gets more complex, so you don't wanna go too crazy. You know, generally we um, we try to leverage our advantages. So we have we have manufacturing strength with different processes and, and a lot, and generally when you make a product, it's uh, it's a three, it's, you know, generally it's a three-step process to make something. Um, print, you can say print, and then, you know, fabricate it and then you know, package it, whatever. So can you explain what you mean by we, fabricate? Because I'm not, a, you know, I'm not like an extra. In, I call it like, you know, I'm just using a general word, like in stickers, it'd be you, you first you print it and you cut it. Right. And then for generally print, cut, convert, like so we make, we make um, uh, mailers. So it'd be like first you print the mailer on a roll 
and then you convert it, you fold it. So, you know, you're, you're, you're generally like printing and then making it. <laughs> First you print it, then you make it, then you, you, know, you, you package it and ship it. So um, generally you have two or three steps to make something. We try to land, uh, leverage like existing expertise. So we're one of the best cutting operations in the world for um, just cutting in general. And so we, we move from, you know, different, we move into different type of cut, cut products where we can you know, leverage our expertise in cutting. Um, there's different types of printing methods, but in certain types of printing methods, we're, we're, you know, we're one of the best companies in the world. So if we can add another product that leverages our existing expertise in printing, we'll do that. We generally will do like a press, a product where it's a, a one process step change. So if there's three process steps, like we'll already know how to do two and then we'll add in one more. Um, but we won't like, we try to avoid totally new products where we have to learn an entire manufacturing process from scratch. Well, an example like that, like we did t-shirts recently where we had a bit that doesn't leverage anything we know how to do. So we had to learn everything from scratch for t-shirts, which is a huge initiative, you know, a lot harder to do going from knowing nothing to trying to figure out how to create a product while we probably been already knowing how to do the printing or already knowing how to do the cutting. So, um, so yeah, what I'm hearing is, what I'm hearing is then a lot of the products have been very kind of manufacturing like that, like the supply side driven basically, which is, Hey, we can right. also produce this without a you know, a substantial operations load being added. But so many people were coming to you guys asking about marketing from a demand. I'm sorry, not marketing. So many people were coming to you yeah. asking about t-shirts from a demand side that it necessitated that you take on the operational load because there was already that kind of proven demand. That, yeah. Hey, if we figured this out. There's also going to be, you know, a pile of gold. Yeah. Course. If there's massive demand, we'll, we'll consider your product even if we don't know how to make it. But generally, we like to touch products that we already uh, have expertise in so we know that like we don't we want to be the best manufacturer for whatever we're doing like we don't want to just sell stuff just to sell it like a lot of print companies they just keep adding products and they're not necessarily the best but i have yeah. this we have this theory that like people want to buy from you know why is apple so successful because you have this confidence that like when apple releases something it's, it's the best people want the best and so whatever product we touch we try to be the best there is at it from a manufacturing perspective from a quality perspective from a service perspective so yeah so um you know, the fact that we're so good at cutting when we go from one cut product to another, we know we're going to have incredible quality, incredible, yeah, incredible quality for that product. Having the best teachers in the world was, was, um, you know, pretty, pretty challenging because we didn't know that we're still learning a lot. We still have a lot of, we have, we have a pretty big roadmap on how to improve t-shirts, um, which is, which is exciting. And it's probably much cultural where if you held that high of a standard for enough time, then the members of your team that you probably tasked with, like, I need you to figure out t-shirts and really tighten up the operations. It's very frustrating to them that they have this level, the high level quality in stickers, high level quality in this printing, high level quality here. And when t-shirts isn't there, it's almost like a cognitive dissonance. Like, no, 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 we're sticker mule. We hit this level, but we're not there yet. And it you know, creates that focus and initiative that's all. Oh yeah, it's, well, it's a problem for the customers too because they get used to us doing something, if we release something and the quality is not the best that there is, they're like, what the heck, I'm used to buying from you and expecting perfection and you, you know, you have a substandard product this time. So t-shirts was probably the hardest thing we've done in a while. Cause yeah, that, that came totally. Well, we did packaging totally from scratch as well. Um, but that went a little more smoothly. I guess nothing goes all that smoothly. No, that didn't go that smoothly either. We bought, you know, yeah, that, that didn't, you know, but nothing goes all that smoothly. And in retrospect, once it starts running, you forget about all the headaches. Yeah, if the, 
we're pregnant with our second kid. It's like the same thing. It's like you forget, like yeah. you know, being pregnant or the, you know the baby crying. Once you get see yeah. the beautiful baby, you're like, oh, this is great. Let's do it again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, beautiful. Um, awesome. Uh, so, so funny story here. Um, I was texting my friend last night, telling him I was going to interview you, and he said that, or not, he said, I said you were the one to my friend that you know turned me on to Sticker Mule because you were bragging about all these stickers that you got for your your company. And I actually have, I can't show you right now, but it's on the laptop that I'm interviewing you right now. It's got a sticker mule sticker yep. for his company uh, that I've had on there for years and years and years and years. And the, the connection here was basically, um, you know, my friend Larry is the ultimate connector. He opens doors for people all the time. Hey, you need to meet so-and-so. Hey, this would be a great connection. In terms of the internet, like you talked about, you know, the GitHub uh, founder being a key person in the early days. Is there another person or another instance where someone opening a door for you helped your company to reach the next level? You were stuck somewhere and then someone, you know, just throughout the goodness of their heart or their, you know, general interest in humanity was like, let me open this door to help Anthony and stick on mule grow. Yeah. So I'm the least connected person in, in tech. I, I know almost, I mean, I did get that connection. That was a random connection to the GitHub guy, but uh, you know, I know almost no one. The, the most helpful thing to me really is my our co-founder. So uh, our co-founder started the company with me when he was uh, seventy some years old. He's in his eighties right now, and uh, the whole reason Stick Mill started was really you know him because uh, it was it was just before Christmas twenty ten, and I had like you know a lot of people when they're in Oxford, a lot of people when they're a little bit younger. They BS about wanting to start a company. People have these ideas, right? And they talk about them never doing. And I was BSing about the idea of doing something like Sticker Mule with him. And uh, he said, he, he was 70 some years old and already retired. He never even used a computer, never used the internet. And he said, well, what the heck do people even do on the internet? And I showed him uh, Cafe Press and Zazzle. And he went home and he came and saw me the next day. And he said, I want to start, I want to start this company with you all, fuck it. So, that was the biggest helping hand I ever got. He, he said, you know, he said he, he, he saw, he heard my idea. I showed him Cafe Press. I showed him Zazzle. He came and saw me the next day with a notepad and said he wanted to start a company with me and that he would, and he would fund it. And he said, I got to decide that day if I wanted to do it or not. And um, we went the next week and we went and got a lawyer who was um, at that time. Our lawyer was in his 80s. And my co-founder's name is Tom. And he, he went in. Our lawyer's name was Dick. And, and uh, he went, we went in and he said, Dick, me and Anthony want to start an internet company together. And uh, the lawyer was 82, never had a computer either. And he said, the internet, my grandkids say that thing's phenomenal. <laughs> and so um, that was the beginning of Sticker Mill. We launched three months later after that conversation. And we got our 20 orders our first day. But uh, in terms of helping hand, that was the, you know, the biggest one you know, I, I ever got. So I do tell people like people, um, you know, some people have a hard time accepting help in life. And uh, I tell people, like, if somebody offers to help you, you should take it. You know, they're offering because they want to. And, you know, you shouldn't feel bad about accepting help. You shouldn't feel bad about asking for help. If you want to ask for help, you should ask for it. But, um, you know, aside from that, it's, it's you know, I kind of keep to myself and, and, and work with our team. Our team has been the biggest helping hand in terms of getting, getting things done. Got it. So, I mean, th that was a fantastic story. And I have so many, so many different questions about it. The first <laughs> is, when he gave you that ultimatum, you have to decide today. Yeah. Did you know in that moment or did you actually need some time to think about it? No, we, we I just sort of, just, you know, I, I, I kind of tend to do things pretty quickly. And so, yeah, I just sort of did it. And, and he had been a friend of mine for a long time. He was actually, uh, 
you know, um, my dad, my dad wasn't, like, you know, I don't get into this usually, but, uh, you know, my dad passed away when I was eight years old. He was my dad's best friend. He sort of always looked, looked after me. And, uh, so I had a good relationship with him and, and we just, we, we, we get along really well. So there's, so there's a deep connection there. So maybe that obviates a little bit of what I'm about to ask next, but you know, there's a lot of people there, the, you know, the Venn diagram of the people, or it's probably like a meme, you've seen people with all the energy and, and all the time and none of the like capital or resources and then, or the experience. And then conversely, all the people with all the experience, all the capital, none of the time, none of the resources and, and mm-hmm. you know, the value of connecting those people together. So when you go to him, what are the qualities that you think you embodied before you were the successful entrepreneur, you know, scaling sticker mule, that's just the, the, the latent qualities that you possessed that made him say, I'm going to take a bet on Anthony. Like I, I believe in Anthony's work ethic or, or whatever it was about you that you had at that point in time. I'm pleasing. I don't know. I guess, I guess, I don't know. I'm not going to talk about myself, but you know, I would say like, he said this, you know, and I, I, I had questions, I had doubts about the whole thing because I said, like, I didn't know anything about technology. Like I wanted to get on the internet, but I didn't know anything about technology. He said, I've never failed anything in life and you've never failed anything in life. So, you know, whatever I tended to do, I've done pretty well. And he just said, we don't fail at things. We won't fail at this. It's I mean, that's a pretty good said, line. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, we don't, I don't, you know, I met, I guess that's like, I don't, I don't like, I, te- I call it a uh, force of will. Like I, sometimes I just make things happen because I want them to happen. I don't know. It's, it's, I don't know how you, you just, he, he has a process and I have a similar process, which is like, if you're trying to get something done, you just keep trying as many things as possible. You just keep trying and trying and trying. And he makes lists. I do that now. It's like, it's like, oh, I want to create a company. He's like, make all the lists of every idea you have in order to make the company succeed. And you just do them all. And, and then if those ideas don't work, you come up with more ideas and you do those too. And you just keep going and going and going. Um, I should, you know, you can, because people like, you know, I said, uh, you, you can't believe things are going through, but like, you know, it's like launching t-shirts, launching the packaging. I've gotten in massive disputes with, uh, vendors and I, you know, some of the stuff I can't go into, but you want to look on the legal disputes, massive, like contractual disputes. I've had lawyers tell me you're never going to win this battle. And I just push through and I end up, you know, getting what I want in the end. So I, I can probably like, we, when we got into the t-shirts, we bought the wrong machine. It was a pretty like massive investment, the wrong technology because they had to themselves and, and uh, I just went to war with them and, and got them to take all the machines back and refund all of our money. And our lawyers were like, you're never going to get to happen. But, you know, I just, I just don't give up. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that I've said. We, we don't know each other that well prior to this interview. And the thing that I'll, you know, take away, I, I do these interviews partially selfishly so that I can learn from other entrepreneurs more successful than me. And I like having the imaginary entrepreneur on my shoulder, like, what would this person do in this scenario? Mm-hmm. And you know, I think one of the things we share in similarity is that preference to not fail. People think like entrepreneurship is so risky, like you got to be a risk taker. Mm-hmm. There's a, a different archetype that's actually just about minimization of regret, minimization of failure. And this mm-hmm. is the path that logically solves for that. Your intensity is palpable. It's clear from this entire conversation that you're someone that when you get your eye on the prize and you decide you're going in a direction, it's, no one's going to stop you. You're, you're going to continue to march forward until you can't. Yeah, I think like we, my, like me and my co-founder, someone in we don't like to fail at things. And yeah, like, oh, it's okay to fail. It's okay to fail. I mean, it, it, like, I'm actually great at failing. I, like, I'm like, I feel like people call me a master of sunk cost. Like, if I screw up, I just say, oh, well, I, was, I screwed up here. Yeah. Um, Micro failing. Well, no, I've had some big mistakes. I don't know. I guess, I guess it's like, 
failing is one thing and like making a mistake is another. So I've made some massive mistakes. Um, but when I do, I just move on with life. Even if it's a, you know, I mean, I've made massive financial mistakes along the way, but I, I used to play poker and I don't play anymore, but I, you know, like one part of poker is bankroll management. Like I don't ever risk more money. I don't ever risk a su substantial amount of my available capital. So I've made massive mistakes, but it's always a size, a, a small percentage, like what I have available. Like, you know, when you play poker, if you're I have a bankroll of $5,000 and you lose 500, you're fine. You just still got $4,500. It's, you know, sort of the same business. But if you, if you got $5,000 and you, and you bet three or 4,000 and you lose, all of a sudden you got no money left and, you, and you're, you're screwed and you're on the panic mode. So, um, I make, if I make a mistake, I just eat it and move on my life. But got I don't it. like losing. I know, right? What's the difference between making mistakes and being a failure? I don't know. Yeah. I think it's all context. It's all, it's all perspective and context. Right. And I, I think that that's a you know, timeless part too, which is never bet in the farm. You're always, you know, structuring your bets in a way yeah. that, that uh, size correctly be okay no matter what. Mm -hmm. um, and this has been fantastic. I want to aim towards asking our last few questions. But before I do that, I was prepping for this. I, well, I, I got that, the outreach from a PR team. I'm prepping for this. I'm thinking, you know, I have all these questions about the sticker business, about printing, about that stuff. And then I see that you're also boxing and you're also bootstrapping a social media network. Uh, yeah. So so tell me about how you have the time to do this and what the what the why is behind it. Well, sticker rolls really well without me. Um, boxing is, you know, I, it's, I don't, like, I think one reason I'm good at business is like, I don't really love business, believe it or not. I think like, I don't, I'm not emotionally attached to it. And so like, that makes it easy for me to be successful for whatever reason. I, I, I don't know if I could have had another life, I would have gotten into combat sports, but I didn't, I didn't go that route. And I randomly a few years ago started boxing and I liked it. And I don't know, my coach encouraged me to keep going. I just, I just actually had my second pro fight, uh, three days ago, like what, what, no, four or five days. Sorry. I, my last pro fight was Saturday. So. Um, right now I'm four and on boxing, all KOs to amateur. At the age friend. of 42. Yeah, I know. It's weird. That's impressive. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying weird. I'm saying impressive. It's weird. You know, I, I, I talk to my coach and we talk about other boxers all the time. And he's like, that guy's done. He's, you know, I'll be like, I'll be like, what's going on with so-and-so? He's like, oh, he's done. He's 28 years old. I'm like, coach, I'm 40. <laughs> he's like, yeah, you're different though. I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. I don't, you know, I, like as far as the athletics go, I, I think like one reason, um, you know, boxers, there's definitely a genetic component with age. Like I'm not going to say there isn't, but like one reason like old boxers aren't effective is, well, it's like you just fall out of love with the sport after a certain period of time. You know, when you first start something, you'll get like musicians, like their first album's incredible because they're so enthusiastic for it. So I'm new to the sport and I still have a lot of enthusiasm for the sport. So I train like, I train like a kid, even though I'm 40 and a lot of 30 or 40 year old athletes don't train like kids anymore. They, they, they end up be as you get, and I'm already, I could feel even for this last fight, I didn't train as hard as my fight. So I, I knew I went to my last fight, not in as good a shape as I went into my other fights. I felt I was tired as soon as I got in there and, and I still managed to win, but I started getting overly confident about my skill set. And I think a lot of Older athletes, they start and overly confident about their skill set and they, they tone down the training. It's, it's, it's a lot to train like in a couple of times. So I know I'm 40, but I still train like a kid. So that that helps. And uh, it helps me with work. It keeps me distracted. You know, I think I drive people crazy if I don't have that. It, it, it takes about uh, two to four hours of my day and it takes a lot of my intensity away 
I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say I'm like intense, but well, I don't know. Maybe I am, but, uh, but it's, it's, it's a great distraction for me. You have a, you have a baseline intensity that is above whatever, whatever the median is. You're, you're definitely above, above the median, Anthony. Um, <laughs> and that's good. I mean, that's also like what takes a company from zero to one. There wasn't a massive printing company that was internet native 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. And your intensity, your drive, in spite of, you know, the wrong machinery being delivered, in spite of other, you know, disputes meant that you persisted mm-hmm. and, and you succeeded. So I can see how there's, you know, a, a consistency in, in being able to value from that. And the other thing, you know, there's a, uh, I'm blanking on what the name of um, the Ryan Holiday book is, but basically his thing is, you know, he watched Dove Charney. I was actually thinking of Dove Charney earlier in this conversation when you were talking about you kind of had a, you liked the matte sticker, not the gloss one, because Dub Charney, who created American Apparel and now Los Angeles Apparel, is like a very specific type of shirt. And people are like, that's not the shirt that people want. But he was right early and he kind of stuck to his type of shirt that he believed in. But Ryan Holiday wrote about how, you know, what got you, he, what got you here won't get you there. And so maybe that intensity was necessary to get Sticker Mule off the ground. But now probably also establish like leadership and other things, sticker mule, but you bring your intensity down through boxing and you bring kind of more measured, balanced version of Anthony to sticker mule, which is what sticker mule actually needs now as a, as a, well, I don't know. Well, we have, a, we have, we talk about this at work and if, first of all, like I only inter, I, and, and, and I think you should be this way. Like if you, I, I tend to mostly interface with, you know, my direct reports, I have five or six direct reports. I do work a lot with factory workers too. I've, I've always been comfortable manufacturing, so I have, I have a lot of fun there. But um, you know, they know how I am. They know how, how I'm intense, and, and we have, they have a love hate relationship with the boxing because um, you know I'm definitely less pressure on the organization when I'm boxing. It's a big distraction, and it's good for the organization too because they get freedom to perform without me. I've always tried to be as much as hands off as possible, and so that people get a chance to perform without me. But um, you know, we tend to get grow a little faster and it tends to be a little more excitement when I'm fully engaged in the company. So um, they, they like it. They like it when I'm involved and, and then sometimes they like it when I'm boxing. I don't know. I don't know. I think there's a mixed opinion on the boxing. They, they, they get a little nervous about it. They, you know, when I first started, they were like, oh, it's probably worry. also more the 40 year old boxing thing than, than anything else too. That's probably Yeah. Part. They're like, why, you know, why are you I care about this? you? Don't just more. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's not a good sport, you know, for 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 your, you know, mental health, you know, mental well being and, and you know, you need your brain to, to run a company and you know, boxing could kinda of run counter to that. But uh But it, I'm sure it makes I you feel alive. Of, I'm sure it engages you. Yeah, it's fun. It's it, it's almost it's like sort of like meditating, like meditating clears your mind and um, you know, when you're boxing, it totally clears your mind. You don't think about anything. I don't know I'm a CEO. I don't even know my friends are alive when I'm boxing. I mean, you're just literally thinking about, you know, not not um not 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 dying or not getting punched in the face or yeah you know getting seriously hurt or or whatever but um you know i like it it's it's a, it, it's a lot you know it's a, it's a lot of fun we'll see how far you know my we you know it's like we'll see how far i go with it because it's massive time commitment my coach's dreams of me going pretty far with it um but we'll see we will see and we'll see where stick a mule goes and hopefully we can do this again sometime in the future anthony i had a Lovely time talking with you. I learned a ton. Uh, if folks want to learn more about you, everything that you're up to, uh, what digital coordinates can we provide people? So um, I, we didn't get a lot of chance to talk about it. We just launched our own social network, mostly out of uh, frustration with the way the other ones are, you know, we're behaving. 
are behaving and we thought we could do a better job there than anyone's ever done. So we built a social network called Stimulus. It's the only social network I'm active on, stimulus.com slash Anthony. And uh, we're doing a lot of cool things there. That's the main way to hear from me and to hear from Sticker Mill and to hear from our team. And uh, it's, it's open to everyone in, in the United States right now. It's the first social network that replaces advertising with integrated giveaways. And it's, your, it's a cool fun place. People that are on there are, you know, overwhelmingly saying it's, it's, their, it's their favorite network. So what is the, what are the giveaways? Like give, give us a more of a picture of that. So people like businesses, you know, we businesses are all running giveaways and all these other networks, right? It's an effective way to get attention, but it's not giveaway. It's, it's not uh, integrated. So you have a problem in a number of a few different problems. You have a uh, fraud problem, like are the giveaways real? There are some fraudulent giveaways. People that are participating don't know if the prizes are being awarded fairly. Businesses don't know if they're being scammed by bots that are, you know, you know, defrauding the giveaways. And then the process of like issuing the prizes is all manual and it's really difficult to do. So Stimulus is the first network with integrated giveaways. Instead of advertising on, on Stimulus, you can run integrated giveaways to boost your account and get attention. And um, we take responsibility for moving the prize from the from the to business running the giveaway to the winner. So it's all so there's not you know there's, there's total credibility there that prizes are being awarded and we all sort of first network everyone's actually starting to copy this now twitter and facebook but we were the first network to uh, id verify everyone so it's all real people you can only be on the system once and there's no way for you to create multiple accounts to scam the giveaways and enter enter multiple times and so um they were totally fraud free from, from the perspective of running you know fair sensible giveaways we guarantee the, the prize gets awarded we guarantee the winners are legitimate people. When did you grab stimulus.com? Uh, about a year or two ago, right? We were like, can, can you ballpark it for me? Can you ballpark it for me? The cost of that? Cause that's a single word URL. That's no, that's what no small. Thinking? I'm going to, I'm going to put it at 200 K. Tell you, It's more than that. More than that. It was more. Yeah. But you know, that's not, that's a good guess. Yeah. That's uh, not that's no, yeah. no small fee. School cool, man. Yeah. Uh, I am uh, signing up for it today. I had to shoot this morning. Otherwise, I, I would have been advancing the call. But with poking around, I was looking at your boxing videos there. Very cool. Encourage people to check it out. Encourage people to check out all of those links that we referenced. Because uh, we'll also put the Sticker Mule website on there as well for folks. And uh, they can find that at the website, goingdeepwithaaron.com, or in the podcast app where you're probably listening to this right now. Anthony, before I let you go, man, I'd love to give you the mic one final time to issue an actionable personal challenge for the audience. So I would say this was a good challenge posed to me a few years ago, and it's what led to one doing stand-up comedy and, and two boxing. Was um, it was uh, I was actually in, I was in I was in New York City at the time, and I was I was dating a girl, and I and she could sing, and I said, "Geez, I'd like to be able to sing like you." And uh, she said, well, why don't you learn? You're in New York City. There's plenty of good teachers here. And I, and I never ended up learning to say, but um, it like made me realize to go out and try things. So I would say like, if there's anything on your list that you want to try or even like certain, you know, you're somewhat interested in trying, you know, just go out and try it. Cause you don't know what benefit you're going to get out of it. And there's generally, you know, nothing not that important going on in our lives. Like trying something new is probably the most important thing you can do with your time. So. They end up comedy, big dividends for me at work. Boxing has been a ton of fun for me. I tried a few other things over the past few years, and, and I was a person that was definitely shy about trying new things. Um, but 
yeah, I would say that if there's anything on your mind, just go try it. It's only a day or two of your life. You never know what you're going to learn. I dig it. And people love to teach. Like you reference your boxing coach and your friend said that, you know, there's all sorts of teachers mm-hmm. in New York. Like for me, I have more coaches this year for my agency than I ever have before. I'm working with three different coaches and mm-hmm. no surprise, like the best couple months in terms of ops, in terms of sales that we've ever had. And it's just mm-hmm. because you're using that, that mastermind, the hive mind, figure things out that are trying to buy yourself. Yeah. You're never going to lose getting out of your comfort zone and, and, and doing something. I have the question, like when, whenever something gets offered to me, like, like I said, the box thing, I always just think like, well, do I have anything better to do today? And and <laughs> the day I started boxing, I was actually in a, I was actually in a bar and I had been BSing about boxing. And, uh, you know, my friend said, are you ever actually going to go box? And I just said, you know, I, sh- I should go do that. And I went straight from the bar to the boxing gym. And that was my first day of boxing. And, well, uh, you know, I went from there. Same day with stand-up comedy. My friend said, do you want to try stand-up comedy? And said, why not? And, uh, but I wasn't always that way, you know, and then the more I did that, the more I, I started getting addicted to just trying things. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's great. You know, generally, we're not doing that many important things in our lives. Might as well try something new. Anthony, this has been fantastic, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Aaron. We just went deep with Anthony Constantino. Hope out there has a fantastic day. Hey, thank you for listening to the end of my interview with Anthony. If you want to learn more about the printing business, check out our past interview with Scott Heater. He owns a third-generation family printing business. We actually took a tour of his facility, got to see the inside of one of those manufacturing facilities, and we talked a lot about leadership. Go check it out.